Welcome to Connecting Cultures with Weirong Lee, where we create connections with inspiring conversations from cross-cultural individuals. Coming up next, we have an inspirational and eloquent individual. She is the founder and CEO of Clear, a skincare app that empowers consumers in the skincare industry. She's also a Forbes 30 Under 30 honoree, and with her company, it's valued at 15 million US dollars. With her cultural background, her parents were raised and educated in India, and when she was just a child, she moved to Cheshire, UK. At the age of 14, they then traveled to New Delhi, and two years later, when she was just 16, she relocated to Singapore to complete her International Baccalaureate, which is a rigorous two-year academic program. Now, she resides in Oxford, UK, and leads her global team remotely. Welcome, Ahana Banerjee, to the stage. Thank you very much, Weirong. I'm very excited to be here. As I asked you to bring a favorite snack, we have oranges today, as we can see on our setup, and as we can see with you. Can you please share with us your choice as this will guide us through our conversation today? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, they're great for you, first and foremost, but um, I think for me, oranges were always a snack that I really enjoyed. And, you know, when you move around as a child, a lot of things in your life can change. But this was one of the foods that was all, always available in all of the countries that I've lived in. Um, you know, it's cheap, easy to access. Um, and so I still eat a lot of oranges now. And I think that's one thing that no matter where I've been, I have always been able to enjoy. So I feel a lot of sense of peace when I get to snack on my oranges. Well, it's honored to share this orange with you. And I have a smiley face as well to join us in our conversation. Let's dive into it. As in the introduction, I mentioned about your diverse cultural experiences so far. I'm pretty sure that you've also experienced some challenges along the way. I want to get real and I want to dive right into it. How yeah. did you navigate your heritage, your origins of cultures between being British, but as well as having Indian heritage? How was that for you? I think it's, it's such an excellent um, question and, and was definitely confusing, uh, especially as a child growing up in a predominantly white community in, in Cheshire. But knowing that, you know, I, I was different and the meals I ate at home were different and the way my parents, you know, were with me were a little bit different than, than my friends at school. But I think, you know, and I think it's quite common for many sort of kids in that kind of an upbringing where you just want to fit in. You just want to be like everyone else. You want to have the same kinds of packed lunches. You want to have the same kinds of family dynamics. Um, and I have to say that my parents also, while they themselves were born and raised in India, they were very open-minded in their approach of raising myself and my brother. So I wouldn't say that I was raised in a very, very culturally Indian um, home. Um, but of course, my parents aren't English, and so there was still a difference between how I was raised and how my friends at school were raised. That said, I think because I had such a good sort of friend group when I did live in the UK, 
before any of my international moves really happened, um, I felt quite secure in my British identity. And I think at that point, I kind of, I hate to use the word shunned, but to be honest, I think that was representative. I didn't really acknowledge the part of myself that was Indian and I saw myself as fully British. Mm. Um, and I think it only came into question at the age of 14 when the international moves started. Um, because then, you know, I was kind of forced to confront the question of what what am I, you know, where am I from? And mm. especially of all the places in the world moving to India, you know, sometimes people would say, oh, so you're moving back to India. And I would have this reaction, this visceral like, no, 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 I'm not moving back. Like, I'm not from here. This is just mm. as foreign to me as it is for you. But, but actually that's not true. I do have the Indian heritage, um, but I almost didn't like having this Indian identity being put on me because I just didn't feel connected to it at all. I couldn't speak the languages, you know, food wise, I prefer Western food. You'll notice my favorite snack was not an Indian, um, Indian snack mm. uh, because I just wasn't raised with it at all. And, and I think it was those, those years in India where initially moving, there was this question of, you know, what am I? Am I British? Am I Indian? And at the time, I think saying I was both didn't feel like an option. Um, and in India, specifically within the expat community, I think it's one of those countries where there's such a stark divide. I think in almost all countries, especially when you go to international schools, there can be somewhat of a divide between the local community and the expat communities. But it's very, very much amplified in, in India, in New Delhi. And we found ourselves in the expat community, which meant that there wasn't actually very much um, mingling with the local Indian people. And so ironically, in those two years of living in India, I think I felt the least Indian I'd ever felt before, just because I thought, okay, well, this is my, my home country where my heritage is, but I have a British passport. My sense of humor is British. My accent is British. And I cannot relate to the Indian people from India. I relate much more with you know other people for whom they're visiting India for the first time, or this is the first time they're they're living here. Um, and so I think at the end of those two years, I was also sort of came to the realization that I think I'm more British than I am Indian. And then it was sort of even more confusing when I moved to Singapore at the age of 16. And Singapore is one of those countries which has a, quite a large Indian expat community. Um, and I remember, you know, a very distinct moment happening um, one day at school where we had to dress up in our international or our cultural clothing. Um, and I didn't own any Indian clothes. Um, and so, you know, and it also wasn't an event where I had time to plan like a big graduation ceremony. It was just another day at school where they were like, you know, come dressed in something cultural. Um, and I just didn't have anything to wear. And so at the last minute, I found this London 2012 skirt I had from the, the 2012 Olympics. And I thought, okay, it's got a Union Jack on it and I am British, so let me just wear that. Um, and I remember arriving to school and an Indian girl actually came up to me and she, she said, why are you wearing that? And I said, well, because I'm British. She said, no, you're not, you're Indian. And I think that was, mm. you know, another moment where it was like, wow, you know, I've, I've asked myself this question and I think both times come to the feeling that I'm British mm. and I am being perceived as Indian by someone that doesn't know me very well. Mm. Um, and I think at that point, I, I also didn't quite, I, I, was, I was a little confused almost because with Singapore having such a large Indian expat community, a lot of the Indian Indian people in Singapore, despite never having lived in India, as was the case for this this person, 
She had grown up in a very culturally Indian environment, and I had assumed, given my background, that anyone who is of Indian origin but grows up outside of India sort of takes on the culture of the country they grew up in, just because that was my experience. Mm. But when I lived in Cheshire, there wasn't really any other Indians for me to, you know, get that culture from. Whereas in Singapore, that's not the case. If you want to learn about Indian culture, be surrounded by Indian people, you absolutely can, because there's enough Indian people there. Right. and so, you know, I look back at it now and I can rationalize it. But at the time, it was really like, who are you to tell me who I am and who, who I'm not? Um, and I think also, I'd love to, you know, hear, hear if this resonates with you, Aaron, but I think in international schools, sometimes there are sort of silos between different communities of groups of people from different countries. And I never really felt accepted within the Indian group at my school in Singapore. I much more resonated with people from sort of the the Western countries, the UK. um, And of course, I have friends from all around the world. And that's one of the beauties of international schools. But when it came to a core friend group, um, of course, I had individual Indian friends, but I was never part of the Indian group of people because, again, my my sense of humor was different. My cultural norms were different. My way of communicating was different. Um, So it didn't come naturally to me. And I think it was really only when I went to university um, at the age of 18, I went to Imperial College in London, where I felt like for the first time I was really able to embrace both parts of my identity. And I wasn't feeling resentful or trying to hide the Indian parts of me. Mm. Um, if anything, I think I also re- realized how, how privileged I am to, to have had both kinds of um, perspectives during my upbringing. And I, in many ways, got to take the best of, of both worlds. And that's very much how I feel now. I, know, I really don't see the Indian part of me as a, you know, something to be ashamed of or something to hide, but rather there's many things about my British culture that I'm proud of. And there's many things about my Indian heritage that I'm also proud of. There'll be five questions and you have to answer in five seconds each one of the five questions. Oh goodness, pressure. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> All right, first question. What is a TCK skill set you'd like everybody to have? Empathy. Best reaction when hearing a stereotype about yourself? I think just like understanding where the person's coming from. Like, why do they think that way? Mm. Go to British word. It's probably um, would need to be bleeped out. So that's not, <laughs> that's not repeated. All right, I, I get where you're going. All right, we're gonna keep it clean on this show. Your dream remote work location. Oh, this is way too hard. Um, Mars. I I would love to go to space. Take me with you. (laughs) The ultimate British Indian fusion dish. I'm not a fan of the the fusion dishes, but I love Indian food in the UK. I think some of the best Indian restaurants are in the UK. Got it. So I can just be safe when I'm in the UK to go to any Indian restaurants. Absolutely. Yeah. London has literally. So I think I enjoy Indian food better in London sometimes than in some of the restaurants in India. Love it. Going back to those instances when you were small and having people question your cultural identity, having that girl say, hey, why are you not wearing a sari, for example? What 
how would have you responded now that you know the things that you know back then than how you did respond back then when you were a child? That's a great question. Um, I think I would say that this is just as much a part of my identity as, as the Indian side, is, is what me now would say. Mm. Um, I think then I was so defensive and I, and I didn't like the question and I think it showed in, in my response. I can't remember exactly what I said. Um, but I think then it was about sort of, it felt like an either or, like I have to be British or Indian. Mm. Um, and given that I'd lived in India for two years, I really didn't feel Indian. So I didn't like it when people said that I was. Um, because I, you know, I think at the time actually my view on it is, well, I've lived in Singapore for two years, but no one's calling me Singaporean. And I've lived in Singapore, you know, the same amount of time I've lived in India, which is two years, two years, and then the UK for 14 years. So how can you say that I'm not British? Um, but now I realize that it's not an absolute and you you know, you learn from your life experiences in general, whether that's moving countries or, or whatever else it might be that you experienced growing up. Um, and so now, you know, I I recognize that you, you can have aspects of all cultures and, and that's a really great privilege to have. Um, and, and that's definitely the way I see it now, but perhaps as a child, I didn't quite have that, that viewpoint. Well, it's great to hear where you are at, at the moment, but like you and many people who are similar in your background, there's this concept that we are kind of the jack of all trades, where we know a bit of everything and we taste a bit of everything like in the street food market, but we don't get the entire fruit or the entire product in the end. How do you view that? And do you think that worked for you or worked against you for where you are at the moment? For me personally, it definitely worked for me. Um, I totally get get what you're you're saying, and there ha there have been times absolutely where even though I'm much more cultural comfortable in my cultural identity now, when I still you know wouldn't have seen a film when all my British friends are like, you haven't seen this, like everyone's seen this, or oh like you don't know this reference, um, and and sort of the inference there is well you're you're not British enough, and you know the same thing except times a million happens when I go to India and I don't get any of the the cultural references um but but at the same time i think you know for me especially in my job now as a founder where the job itself is so varied and we're a global company i hire you know we work fully remotely hiring from across the world the ability to understand parts of different cultures has been incredibly powerful and there are so many real life examples that i can think of you know even in my work where having this different cultural understanding has, has been an advantage. I think, you know, for example, in um, in Asian cultures, if you're in public to stare at people, that's another thing where when I, I remember when I first moved to India and people were staring, I was so deeply offended um, coming from this British background. And then I realized that they're, they're not doing it to, to offend me or to make me feel uncomfortable. This is what's normal culturally. Um, and, and, you know, I think also Asian culture on average tends to be more hierarchical, high, more highly structured. Um, and, and so simple things like just entering a conversation, interviewing someone, understanding how they think, why they think, having the kind of understanding of these different cultures that I do now, it's never a snap judgment of, oh, this person is rude because they're staring, or oh, this person is rude because they, 
you know, I, I, no one's ever asked my age, but it's more like sort of in the way that they've communicated. They've been overly gracious with me. Um, you know, if you come from purely a Western background, you might see it as strange. Why are they being so overly respectful? Or like, why aren't they just talking to me like an equal? You know, I, I like to have a flat structure in my company, um, but it's totally not the fact that they are trying to change that, but that's what they know from their culture. Absolutely. And when you're able to understand that, um, I think it, it creates a really good environment because then you can enjoy what diversity brings to the table. And that's not something I need to, I think, sell anyone on. We all know that diverse thinking, diverse teams make for better teams. Um, and when you are able to have a little bit of understanding of lots of different cultures, I think that really can be a superpower. I'm really excited for this segment, which is Culture Got Talent. I love to see what you brought with us today. You have five minutes to showcase whatever you want, whatever talent you'd like us to hear, see, watch. Well, I don't know if it'll take five minutes. Um, and I was thinking, you know, should I, should I do a musical performance? You might be able to see my, my guitars in the background. But I thought that if I can traumatize some people watching this instead, why not? Um, so I was a gymnast as a child. Um, I think I may have mentioned this to you before we're on. And one day they were just stretching us. And they used to stretch us in all sorts of ways. You know, we'd do the splits and they'd like, the coaches would sometimes sit on us as young kids to make sure we were bending enough. Oh, that sounds awful. One day I was stretching my shoulders mm. and I just realized that they go all the way around. Oh. <laughs> so you can dislocate my my shoulders. Wow. <laughs> That's a trick. I can I can give you another another demonstration if you like. Okay. But they go they go all the way. <laughs> but when you do it it seems weirdly natural. It feels like you're just kind of stretching and, and, and you know, it seems comfortable. It is. It, it's very. It's a. It's a good feeling, you know. In the right. same way as when you wake up in the morning, you kind of want to stretch your shoulders. Right. Normal people will stretch, and then their arms just kind of stop. Yeah. For me, they just keep going, and I forget sometimes when I'm just out in public and want to stretch a little bit. I'll do it, and I'll sometimes see like a. I was going to say child, but sometimes even adults just looking, being like, "What?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you. That was a first. <laughs> We touched upon the diversity of experiences and cultures that you've experienced growing up and up until now, but you also had a diversity in terms of your academic experience because you clearly had many transitions that you had to go through with your school. My question is, in hindsight, looking back, seeing those challenges that you had to go through because the curriculums were different and you had to catch up in certain aspects, would you see those experiences and moments as something positive that contributes to your entrepreneurial career at this moment? Do you think that whole of knowledge and education contributed to your entrepreneurial career? Uh, I definitely think so. And it's a really interesting uh, question again, because when you look at some of those holes, I think it was that hole when I got to university, having switched curriculum so many times and feeling like in my physics degree, my maths wasn't quite up to scratch, which is actually what drove me to explore other career paths. And then I landed on entrepreneurship and this absolutely is my dream job now. Um, and my mum always says, she said, you know, I think if we'd have stayed in the UK, you would have ended up being a physicist, which is the route that I was, I was on. And that's not a bad thing, by the way, you know, my, my partner is a, 
is doing his PhD in physics, that's equally, equally good path. But um, I don't think I would have even had the curiosity to try other things, or I would have done a job that involved being so rounded. Mm. Um, and I think it's, it's also the transferable skill of resilience, of changing and adapting. These are such important skills. And when you look at a founder journey or an entrepreneurial journey, I hate to sound cringy or, um, you know, repeat a, a common quote, but change is the only constant. And that is true. Circumstances change, you know, the pandemic hit and the companies that succeeded were the ones that changed and adapted. And if you don't, it's as stark as your company will die. You know, that is not corny. I've actually never heard of that. Maybe I'm in a different country, really? but I love it. <laughs> See, cultural norms and references. I can um, highlight that in bold now. <laughs> I love um, it. That's so, that's so funny. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it really is. And, and I think that the sooner you learn how to thrive in that kind of an environment, the more equipped you will be for whatever life has to throw at you next. Mm. So when it came to my own company, let's say, you know, the team drastically changes or something big happens, like a big investor and bad things, you know, if an investor pulls out, what are you going to do? What's the plan B? Mm. Um, but always, you know, not being phased by it, but actually embracing that this is inevitable. And I've dealt with much bigger changes before. Right. So taking it as part of your stride. Um, so, so in that sense, I think like the, the transferable skills you learn from it are hugely valuable. Mm. But even just from a more objective part of my own journey, um, it was chopping, changing curriculums that left some holes in areas of my academic knowledge, which ultimately I think is what drove me to, to pursue entrepreneurship in the end. Now, I want to go back to when you explained your flexibility and adaptability that you gained with your cross-cultural experiences. Can we touch upon how this is connected to your sense of, to cross-cultural individuals being able to build a sense of connection and empathy, perhaps a bit more easier because we're always putting ourselves in unknown situations. We have to adapt, right? How, yeah. do, you, how do you view this? as someone who comes from a cross-cultural background and how has this been transferred into you leading CLEAR? Because CLEAR is also community-based. So tell mm -hmm. us a bit about first what you think on connection and empathy and how yeah. you've done that through your company CLEAR. Yeah, well, well on the connection and empathy point, um, just a couple of, of weeks ago, I was at this um, I was at this conference where at, where there was a workshop all about biases, mm. um, and and for them it was meant to be a practical thing. You know, how do biases come into your hiring process? Are you really being inclusive, creating inclusive environments? Mm. And as part of this exercise, what we were all told to do was to write down um, the ten people in life we are closest to. So that's not necessarily just your employees or your company people, but people you work with, friends, family, all of it, who are your, who are the 10 people in your inner, innermost circle? Right. And then for each of these people, there were a list of sort of um, criteria of nationality, age, gender, education level, sexual orientation, um, skin color, like all of these different um, attributes. And you had to mark whether they were the same as you or different to you. So that was, as I said, you know, nationality, gender, sexual orientation. And the purpose of this exercise was for most people to illustrate that people surround themselves with people similar to themselves. 
and it's not a conscious thing it's an unconscious phenomenon that occurs for most regular people um when you've been raised in in one place and this was in london um with mostly british people that had had a more traditional upbringing in in one place and the exercise worked for them because you know all of their friends were kind of like some from the same area like similar life stage similar life experiences and for me i don't think there was even one person in my innermost circle that i shared more than 50 percent of these criteria with when it came down to education level when it came down to you know nationality gender all of these different things um and so I think if anything, that exercise proved to me that, wow, without realizing, without consciously trying to have diversity of thought and different opinions around me, mm. it has happened because of the upbringing that I've had. Mm. Um, and that's an advantage because the whole point of this exercise was to show people that you need to push yourself out of your comfort zone to make mm. sure that you are getting different opinions, different thoughts, because that's what's going to help you from a right. business perspective. Um, but as third culture kids or cross-cultural individuals, that is something that I think we are handed as a privilege and don't even realize how lucky we are and just how diverse our communities are and hence how much more empathetic we can be or when making decisions it's very easy to take for granted you know the people you ask for advice offhandedly that you're actually getting so many different perspectives just because you were brought up around people that were different to you and that's that's what's normal for you to be surrounded by that and 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 so hence that's something that is absolutely um it's visible in in clear culturally from a gender perspective and age perspective um our team is extremely extremely diverse in in every sense of the word um and i think we're a better organization because of it what are some of the team culture or dynamics that you have in clear that showcase that well, I think the biggest one, um, and it's sort of in the name, is transparency. Um, and, and that's on sort of every every level. I like to lead the company very openly, um, so the team know exactly what the priorities are. And there's also a lot of trust involved in that, where there is no kind of culture of micromanagement or checking hours. The team knows I work incredibly hard, and I and I and I know I know and I trust that they do too. Um, but I think sort of this intrinsic motivation and drive and trust and empathy and you know just really believing that you are surrounded by people who share the mission, who share the vision, and want to do the right thing and use their skills and their education to do something positive. Um, I think is sort of just a mindset that we all really share. Um, and what this also means is that when there are disagreements in an approach, let's say there's a technical problem that we're trying to solve and different people think about it in a different way. It's never it's never sort of a, a stressful conversation to have. If anything, it's, it's always a really nice, healthy, open conversation where we're all constantly learning. And learning is, is one of our company values. I mean, it's core to our product. It's, our product is all about empowering people to learn what they can do for their skin. But even us as a team and the approach that we have we're doing something that hasn't quite been done before. So in order for us to succeed, we have to learn. We have to be open to new insights, feedback from our customers, feedback from our brand partners, take that learning and make the product and the service better. So, um, you know, that there's a lot of a lot of shared company values and, and that's something that even during our hiring process, we, we screen for. So we do ask questions kind of around our, our company core values and make sure that, the people that we're working with are aligned and if they're not no matter how technically gifted they may be or how good at the job they are um i think values and culture is incredibly important in any 
organization. Um, so even if it's something like they don't like remote working or they need some face-to-face, that means that they are not a culture fit for our company. Don't get me wrong, I love face-to-face. I actually met our CTO who is normally based in South Korea in his hometown of Brighton just uh, this weekend. And it was amazing and I really enjoyed it. But when we are working remotely, there's no craving for, I wish this was in person. Um, I think we all really thrive in a remote environment and we love the work-life integration that it that it allows us to have. Um, and so I think just sort of screening for these points in a hiring process is also something that um, I've become mindful of and got better at as things have progressed with Clear. Thank you. Talking about values, talking about things that we see as a part of non-negotiables, I often have conversations with cross-cultural individuals, impressive cross-cultural individuals like yourself. And I often find that we have innately this need to create something much bigger than ourselves, that mm-hmm. we need to create something that has a positive impact to society. But it's true. I've noticed this in so many conversations interviews. Mm-hmm. How do you think individuals that grew up in such a background like you and like me have caused or impacted such a mindset? Yeah, um, I think for me personally, and and, and I'm sure, you know, this may be the case for others with a similar upbringing too, is when you see such a range of, of people, a range of experiences, I think it makes you more aware of what you have. And that was that was certainly the case for me, especially the first international move to India where you know, before that I went to a regular state school in the UK, so not not incredibly fancy, also not you know, not terrible. Um, and I went to a highly privileged international school where I was seeing, you know, my friends whose parents were ambassadors or CEOs of companies and, you know, these kids have grown up in extreme privilege, but also in a country like India to drive to a fancy school, you witness poverty at its biggest extreme. And it hits you, you know, as a 14 year old girl, I'm in my nice car driving to my nice school and there's a girl my age knocking on the window, begging. And the only thing that really was different was where she was born and where I was born and the family I was born into and what she was born into. Mm. Um, And I think when you see these kinds of things as a child, you see such extremes, you know, extremes of wealth on one side and extremes of, you know, not having that on the other. It makes you more aware of of the privileges that you have in life. Um, And for me personally, it was was my education. It was the family support that I had. Um, I I always knew that I was very lucky. I liked school. I was good at school. I had the most supportive family that always encouraged me to pursue my dreams. And when you see injustice and unfairness in the world, you feel, and it may be idealistic or naive, but you feel like you can make an impact and you have the power to make the impact. Um, and, and for me personally, I truly feel like I've had every opportunity to have the impact. You know, I've had, as I said, the most supportive family. I've had a world-class education. I'm healthy, you know, like physically, mentally, what more could I have? I've been given every opportunity to do something positive. Um, and so I think, Definitely for me, it's that. It's just being aware of how lucky I am to have the life that I do. And I would feel, um, I, not that it's wasted, gosh, this is getting very dark very quickly, but you know, I, I think I would feel really unsatisfied if I went through life and didn't feel like I'd had 
any kind of positive impact on on anyone and it doesn't even have to be you know massive i'm not saying that i single-handedly am going to right or global warming but it's you know i want to have inspired at least one person to i don't know whether it's yeah. start their own company pursue their dreams or help someone who's struggling with their skin you know find a product that works for them um but just do something that makes someone else's life better in some way and i hear you totally uh, thank you for sharing that because you kind of gave more words to that feeling that i believe many of us share which is we have and carry this responsibility because of our experiences and we with what we've seen at a fairly young age have to kind of give back give mm -hmm. back in some way using what we've learned so far in our journey thank you so much johanna i have to thank you for coming on this show and being a wonderful guest i'm sure everyone who is watching and listening today got really inspirational takeaways from what you've shared to summarize, you really shared a lot of insights regarding your international experiences, but also the importance of connection, of empathy, of community, which you're also doing now in your entrepreneurial endeavor with Clear. And of course, this will stay with me in, the, <laughs> this will stay with me in my mind, your stretching capabilities. Uh, I will always remember that. <laughs> Hopefully not in your nightmares. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll come up. <laughs> Anywho, thank you again. This is Connecting Cultures with Wei Rong Li. Before you log off, please put in the comments below what you think of this episode. If you have more questions to Ahana, please, please write over here. And if you want to hear more updates about our show, about who's upcoming, about our content, any inputs, please follow our social media channels and we will get back to you. Thank you so much. This is Wei Rong Li and this is Connecting Cultures with Wei Rong Li. See you next time. <laughs>